the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good day, everyone. This is Crystal Thornton from The Fish. And joining me today for a very special edition of Life Inspired are my co-host, Chris Kelly. (laughs) We're giving the ladies the day off. And Dr. Terry Johnson, Vice President of Adventist Health and our relationship expert who's always ready to share sound advice, how to demand justice for George Floyd and support anti-racism efforts. George Floyd was a 46-year-old black man who died after Minneapolis police officers handcuffed him and pinned him to the ground. The incident was recorded on video and shared to social media, sparking mass protests and civil unrest. Floyd's family has demanded justice, They don't believe he was resisting officers. And unless you have been under a rock, (laughs) there has been a protest near you around the country. Downtown Portland has seen some of the largest protests, I think, ever in the history of protesting. And this is one of those cities where protests are prevalent. More than 6,000 people showed up on Sunday. And I don't know what the numbers were as the days have gone on. But Dr. Terry, I know that you were there today and you offered a prayer. Um, We're just so grateful that you're with us today because I know as our relationship expert, um, you can help us kind of get through this divide that uh, we really need to become more unified. And I really don't believe this is a black-white issue. I think this is a right and wrong issue. Crystal, thank you so much. And that's right, I was earlier... um had the opportunity to bring some ministers together. Uh, it started because I had some uh, ministers um, who were, were asking me, you know, Dr. Terry, what can I do? You know, what can I do to help? And so um, I'm a strong believer in the power of prayer. Um, um, I just believe that prayer does make a difference. Without anything, called some people up and we made a decision that we would go down to a Pioneer Square mm-hmm. and just simply pray. Then we decided that we would take eight minutes and spread out through the whole mall area there and just get on our knees for eight minutes and just pray, uh, pray for peace, uh, pray, pray that love will, will overwhelm this pray. And we thought there were only going to be um, like maybe 20 of us. And we were shocked when there was over a hundred people who had come out for this event. And then behind us, we noticed people who had come down the protest, they started coming in and saying, can we, can we come too? And we had ministers who were just preaching from their hearts and just sharing. And these people were just there listening. And um, what I love about it, um, Crystal, is that God can take bad and make good out of it. No matter how bad things might be, how impossible it seems, but somehow, even in the midst of tragedy, if we allow God, he can make some good things happen. Well, you're preaching because we have gone through COVID-19, and I believe that that was a call to people getting closer to the Lord. I mean, I don't know if, uh, about you, but I, I know that it has changed everyone's life. Yeah. And, and even though it's tragic and a lot of people haven't been able to work, but in the midst of all of this, there has been some good that have come out of it as well. And even with, with what has happened with, unfortunately, George Floyd, 
our Caucasian brothers and sisters are coming forward and they're saying, look, you know, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to deal with this, but I want to help. I want to do something. I really believe that that's God bringing us all together and helping us to realize that it doesn't matter the color of your skin. Right is right and wrong is wrong. Even the Portland public school system sent my son's in middle school right now. He's going to go into high school next, next year. It's hard to believe. But they even said this is a call to action to live our lives with the purpose of disrupting racism, bigotry, and white supremacy in all of its forms. And we are committed to standing in solidarity with our students, our staff, our families on the side of good and justice. And they shared some support for you and your families because a lot of people don't know how, especially here in Oregon, want to truly help. And so at the end of this podcast, we're going to share some websites that you can go to, some YouTube videos that you can actually watch with your, your family, and hopefully we'll be able to help young children heal and adults heal because this is no joke. I mean, it has caused a lot of people to absolutely lose their mind. Something's got to change. Yeah. And if we're going to sit on the sidelines, and I'm talking to myself too, if we're going to be passive about it, change is going to be slower than we want it to be. I can tell you all this, that I'm, as you know, I'm born and raised in Portland, born on the Hill, even hospital. But uh, my mom, uh, in 1961, there was a speaker who was speaking at Portland State University. And this was November 8th, 1961. And they felt that the speaker was an agitator. And so they encouraged people not to go uh, to hear him speak. And they even got into the churches, some of the mainstream churches, and say, hey, you know what? Black and whites here in Portland, blacks have their sections, white has their, this is, is keep, we're, we're fine, we're fine. And my mom in her 30s had to make a decision to go against what people were telling her not to go to. Her church is saying, don't go there. And mom just made a decision to go. And that speaker was Martin Luther King Jr., who spoke right here in this city. And what was so unique about that, that every person that went to that event had to make a choice. And they shared that they had family members, whites had family members saying, we will disown you if you go hear that man speak. This was before the Monument of King and King was popular. That If you go hear him speak, we will cut you out of our will. And these young white people still went to support. My mom, who church is everything for her, had to make a decision. Either I go with my heart is saying, or I go there and hear what he has to say. And mom is 90 now. And she looks back and says, I am so glad I was on the side of right. That I could have stayed home. I could have listened. But when I made that decision 50 years ago or whatever it was, to go down there and to support, it just made a difference. That's what I see the young people do. I'm not talking about the violent ones and throwing rocks. And that's a whole nother story there. But the ones who are down, I'm seeing young kids, high schoolers, who are saying that I want to make a difference. I don't want the world to be like this anymore. I'm seeing college students. And that part to me, uh, Chris and Crystal, is just absolutely beautiful because they're doing what my mom did 50 years ago in this city to go and hear Martin Luther King Jr. speak, even though she had to make a sacrifice. And by the way, she was thrown out of the church for that. Wow. I know that she has ministered to many people because the church is bigger than the four walls. That's for sure. 
Well, being yes. in company with Martin Luther King Jr. is a pretty good place to be. That's exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Dr. Terry, I just want to know uh, tips for self-care when police brutality has you questioning humanity and social media is enough. The most recent events, of course, have just got people talking to one another more. Even African-Americans talking to their white friends, just trying to understand one another a little bit better. And, you know, sometimes we disagree, but I really think that we agree more than we disagree. If we'll just sit and listen to one another, how do we handle this moving forward? Well, I would say um, tying into that is that um, conversation is so important, y'all, of, of just having a conversation. Um, there at one of the healthcare systems that I was at a little bit earlier this week, people came up to me, people, Caucasians, and just basically said, you know, I'm afraid to say something, Terry. I know you, you're, you're a chaplain. I can talk to you. But my coworker who's next to me, I really want to say something, but I don't want to offend him. And so I don't mm-hmm. say anything or I try to act like every, nothing ever happened. And that's offending them. Mm-hmm. What do I do? And so my advice to them is just, just be honest. Just, you know, you're more offensive by not saying anything and not acknowledging it than you saying the wrong thing. Let me repeat that. It's more effective of you saying something than not saying anything. Absolutely. That's what's offensive. And so that's, I want to encourage you that, that, you know, they understand that you may not say the right thing and you may not, but just to simply say, you know, I, I would love to hear the story from your point of view. I, I want to understand it because, you know, I, I'm honest, I'm white, I'm, I don't get it, but I just want to understand it uh, from your point of view. And that will, will get the conversation going. And I have doctors doing that. Uh, that are just saying, you know, I, I'm just talking to patients and just saying, how has this affected you? And it starts that dialogue. And so, Crystal, I think that's the very first part of the self-care, because if you're just holding it in and you're afraid to talk to the person uh, that you work with, and that will be just, you get to the point you're going to hate to go into where you work at. Right. Well, Chris, I know I really feel that as a result of this happening, it's allowed you and I to talk more about it. Not that we've ever had any issues. I mean, Chris is my brother from another mother, for sure. Um, But really being honest with each other and just talking about how difficult this is for both of us has really, I think, allowed our communication to be even freer. And it allows us to understand one another so that we can share with, with you, our audience. You know when people are faking it. You know when uh, people aren't sincere. And, you know, the thing that we want to be is sincere and we want to be positive. But when things like this happen, it's hard. It's hard because it's a tough subject. But if we just ignore it, then we <laughs> are doing exactly what Dr. Martin Luther King tells us not to do. Yes. When good people stay silent, that is worse. That's worse. I just go back to what Jesus said. What's the one thing he said above everything else? What are we to do? Love our neighbors as ourselves. There was no comma, but however, <laughs> right here are the stipulations. I think it was pretty clear. Pretty clear. Uh, and it ties into a sign that I saw uh, someone carrying, and it, 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 kind of, it just moved me. And let me just, um, uh, I took a picture of it, but let me just say what it said. Not all blacks are criminals. Not all whites are racist. Mm-hmm. Not all cops are bad. Ignorant comes in all colors. 
And when I saw her carrying that sign, it was a black, older black lady carrying that sign. And that is a truth, in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not, and, and so I want to encourage everyone to let's just have this conversation from that point of view. Not all black people are criminals or trying to hurt. And for our black brothers and sisters, not all white people are racist and they want to, and not all cops are ready to shoot you. And we know that um, they're bad in all of those groups, but let's just take it from that point of view uh, because it's so easy to do the opposite of that, of already just siding up and that person's bad. I can't talk. So let's just take it from that, that standpoint. Uh, Dr. Terry, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I know that you've had police training. I spoke with my cousin this afternoon who is a police officer in Chicago. And, (laughs) and if you know anything about police work as one of the toughest places in the country to be a police officer. And I shared with him a a letter that I had received from someone uh, who was a listener. He just helped me with the insight of a police officer's mind. And so we started talking about how do we develop that relationship with our young African-American boys and girls who are growing up in a society where fear is prevalent when they see a police officer or if they're out, you know, um, how parents are training their black young men to react and respond. Or how about I say this, the lack of it, because the lack of respect is being taught in the home right now. And that's where it truly starts. The respect for law enforcement, the respect for position, that is kind of gone to the wayside as generations have continued on for whatever reason. We talked about the lack of being able to discipline your children today without getting in trouble. And one of the ideas that I thought would be fantastic is if you could get police officers to go into elementary schools, junior highs, high schools, and do some type of a program where kids and police officers and teachers and parents can come together and develop some kind of way that that trust is built so they're not afraid. Yeah, Krista, I think that is so important of developing something like, in fact, I'm in the process of developing something called uh, law enforcement student leaders. And uh, I do something right now called student healthcare leaders, where we take young high school kids and we expose them to the healthcare world, where we have them understand it's more to just being a doctor or a nurse than a hospital is a city. And if you like to be a plumber, we have plumbers in every hospital. If you like to be a tech computer person, we have a whole IT department. And give these kids that exposure. And we have just uh, had around 200 kids go through the program. And someone had asked me um, recently if I could start the same thing up um, for uh, young people. And so, Crystal, thank you so much, because it does start at an early age of getting them to understand not every police officer is bad. Not every police that you see with a gun is, uh, is going to shoot you of really getting kids to understand that at an early age. Yeah, because, you know, in in our culture, I've been kind of criticized sometimes because in our family, we don't really talk about race. I don't know. We just look at, we've raised our son to love people for who they are. But I've had some of my relatives even say, you need to make sure that that child understands that society looks at him as an African-American young man. We used to call it in our neighborhood, the talk. Right, the talk. Let's explain the talk to to our people. Because, Chris, have you ever heard of the talk? Well, uh, my talk may have been a little different, but I had (laughs) a talk 
with my stepson, who's 11 years old, yesterday about this very topic. Oh, I hope we're talking about the same topic. <laughs> All right, Dr. Terry, please so. share. <laughs> Dr. Terry, please share your version of the talk that we're talking about. Uh, when you reach a certain age, um, as an African-American male, and I'm sure a female, Crystal, can say from that point of view, is that it, uh, your parents, they have to sit down and they have to have a talk with you of, you have to understand that you are Black in America. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that you cannot do that you may see your other friends who aren't Black doing, but you cannot do that uh, because you will get a different result if you do that. I remember I got another talk when I got my driver's license. I was so Come on. so excited. My uncle had to pull me aside. And Chris, it's it's just every family, African-American family. I'm probably telling secrets now. But, uh, <laughs> we're we're sharing secrets. <laughs> is that they pull you down. But parents will uh, sit me down and just say, all right, this is it. If you get pulled over from the police, first thing you do, put your hands on the steering wheel. Do not move. Don't roll down the window, no matter what you do, until he tells you to do that. You look straight forward. And Crystal and my family, they would say, you say, yes, sir. No, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. That's it. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. That's Don't it. Don't reach and grab your, you know, Susie pulls over, you reach and try to get your ID no. out. Says no. you will get killed as an African-American you... man reaching for something in your car. Keep your hands there, no matter what they say. No matter. That's uh, it. No talking back. That's it. So, Chris, we were told that as soon as we got our driver's license, you've got to be prepared yeah. for that. And that's okay. a lot of pressure for a kid. You know, it's really. That wasn't a talk not, you had, was it? Well, not exactly. But I, I got to tell you, I find some satisfaction knowing that I wasn't too far off. Good. From, from a, a white person's perspective, my talk was, you know what? We can walk down the street in our neighborhood and when we leave this house, we don't have to worry about if someone sees us, if they're going to be suspicious of us, if they're going to think we're casing their house because we want to rob it. Right. We don't have to worry about any of those things. But unfortunately, we live in a country and we're in a state right now to where if we were black, we would be worrying about those things as we started to walk down the street. And that wow. is wrong, that is sad, and we need to do something to change it. Mm. That's the perspective that I had to come from explaining like that. why wow. things are the way they are. See, Chris, uh, you're already doing it. You're already doing it. People are asking, just, what can I do? Yeah. You're wondering, what can I do as a white male? You're doing it right there. You just you're, did it. No, Brought a tear. Where is my tissue? You were educating a whole nother generation of yes. you're doing something in, in, in helping this situation, Chris, by simply doing that. Thank you. I mean, my goodness, that seriously brought a tear to my eye because this is the kind of conversations that we can have, not just with our black families, but with our white friends as well. And we need to be open and honest. Chris, had you ever heard about the talk from a black person's perspective? No, uh, this may be the second time I've heard that kind of story. It upsets me that this kind of talk has had to go on now for how many years? I'm going to take it a little bit further because, Dr. Terry, you know how bright I look. And I've been pulled over by the police on many occasions by black officers and white officers. And because the way I look, 
they don't put black down, they put Caucasian down. In a sense, I have lived my life with white privilege and I'm African-American, but because of the way I look. Mm. And I have also seen hardships within the black community because of the way I look. I have not gotten jobs because I didn't look black enough. So mine has been kind of a reverse discrimination discrimination. because I've kind of lived in both worlds. Not that I tried to pass by any stretch of the imagination. And I remember being in uh, another state and a police officer asking me because I was in television at that time saying, have you ever won an NAACP award? And I thought that was really strange because why would he ask me that? I said, no, I've been an Emmy nominated journalist, but never an NAACP. (laughs) I didn't realize till afterwards and I got my ticket because I still got a ticket and it said Caucasian. He was trying to figure out whether I was black or white. Okay. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy, but it's real. Those are the real. But um, these are real things that are happening in society. I appreciate you sharing that because um, blacks come, we're we're all different colors of the rainbow. You know, in every family, we have someone as light as you, Crystal, and someone as dark as me on the other end. In every family. And so my, my sister has blue eyes, believe it or not, like you. If there is a resource that you need to support you and your family. There are tips for self-care when police brutality has you questioning humanity and police brutality is enough by Dr. Imani J. Walker. Uh, let me say something about that uh, that uh, resource. It's just absolutely beautiful. Yes. Uh, it talks about taking care of yourself, the power of meditation, exercise, unplug for the day, giving yes. back, all that stuff is in there. And I just guarantee there's some stuff that's going to really make you feel good Uh, by reading that article. The next one, Emotionally Responsive Self-Care for People of Color by Brandy Jackson Wellness. And that's a YouTube. And Dr. Terry, if you had an opportunity to see that, you're welcome to say something about that. Yes, this absolutely. um, The thing is, uh, it affects people different ways. And that's something that I think is so important to understand. And don't be angry at someone. If they don't get it from your point of view, that could be, I'm seeing it within families, Chris and Crystal that people are seeing things different ways and different. Mm-hmm. So the thing is important with that is just making sure that you put yourself in a position that you understand from the other person's point of view. YouTube is just powerful. And that's powerful. I would even have your family sit down and watch that YouTube together. The next resource after a crisis, how young children heal from the National Child Traumatic Stress Network. One of the things I want to say, an article will go a little bit deeper in this, is don't assume that your kids are not knowing what's going on. There are parents, and I've said this before, even earlier on the show, is that silence is not the thing to do with kids right now. Because they're going to interpret this situation in their own way, or they're going to talk to their friends, and their friends are going to interpret for them, and they're going to end up uh, sitting down in my office one day because they're going to have so much all this crazy. So it's important that the parents, you're the best psychologist ever, the mom and the dad, y'all are it on the ground level. And so I say, get ahead of this and have a conversation, which the article talked about, have a uh, conversation with, with, with your kid. Don't assume that they don't know. And I like to call it this, have an age appropriate conversation. Yes. In other words, talk to your kids individually. Don't just lump them all together, sit them down. We're going to talk about this, but no, if you have an 11 year old, Chris, you sit down and you talk to that 11-year-old in an age-appropriate way about what's going on. Ask them, what are they feeling? What are, what are they hearing? 
because they're seeing mom and dad stressed out. Uh, they're seeing, you know, the, everything's crazy already. They're locked in the house and there's so much going on. And then you have an 18 year old and you need to talk to them in another way. And so I had that age appropriate conversation. I just can't explain this enough. Once again, that, that silence is not the thing that you want to do. Also, Dr. Terry, George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Brianna Taylor. What do we tell our children? An interview in USA Today with Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum and Dr. Erlanja Turner about conversations with kids of color and white kids about racist violence. This, too, is your forte. Yes, it is so important. I just can't stress that enough. They hear these names and they don't know if, if George Floyd, is that a bad name? Is that something good or is it something bad? I see it's making people angry. And what an opportunity that you have to be able to uh, sit down with them and explain, this is who this person was. He was a human being and some people did some bad things to him and explain it from that point of view. And it just makes such a difference. How to demand justice for George Floyd and support anti-racism efforts. George Floyd, the 46-year-old black man who died in Minneapolis and police officers handcuffed him. If you saw that video, if you heard about this and you want to do something and you're trying to figure out what can I do? Well, here are just a few ways that you can take action for Floyd and support anti-racism efforts across the country. You can sign the hashtag justice for Floyd petition. You can contact Minneapolis authorities directly. You can donate money to George Floyd's family. You can help bail out protesters. Talk about racism with the people in your life. Support anti-racism organizations. And I love uh, my, my pastor, he's still my pastor, Bishop T.D. Jakes, said that if you are trying to find a way to make a difference, you can text Floyd to 55156. Again, that's 55156, where you can make a difference rather than make a noise. It'll give you some direction for some solutions. And Lord knows we need some more good Samaritans out there. And Crystal, let me um, um, say this as we close. Uh, when Dr. King was here speaking in our city of Portland, Oregon, a famous quote was right here in Portland. And the quote that he made was, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that hate cannot. Drive out hate. Only love can do that. Dr. Martin Luther King in the city of Portland, Oregon, November 8th, 1961. I just want to say thank you to both of you for allowing me to uh, have you as our guest on this edition of Life Inspired, and we hope that it was a blessing to you. If you have comments and you want to share them with us, we'd love to hear from you. Again, I'm Crystal from 104.1, The Fish.